You're listening to Preach the Word with David Ryu, Sermon Archive. Please join me in the word of prayer. Lord, as we now open up your holy scriptures, we seek your gracious assistance. Holy Spirit, illuminate your words to us. Open our eyes that we may see wonderful things. We pray especially for the unbelieving souls here today. Help them to see their sins in view of a holy God and help them to see their dire need for a Savior. Lord, in these next few moments, set aflame our hearts with holy affections and holy convictions that lead to holy living and holy ambitions and make this sermon most useful for the sanctification of your people to the glory of God alone. We ask all this in the name of our mighty Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, welcome here to Frost Rally and to our first Kingdom Come event of this year. We're excited so many of you have joined us, especially for the newcomers and our Froshies. Well, please open up your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. I'll just be preaching from this one verse, or you can follow along with me on the screen. Matthew 10, 28. Hear the word of the Lord. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Amen. This was the reading of God's word. In Matthew chapter 10, in this chapter, Jesus calls together his 12 disciples. And then he sends them out on a mission. Jesus commands his disciples to go to the lost sheep of Israel and to proclaim the message of the kingdom of heaven, that the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus knows that his disciples, as they are on the mission, they will face many challenges. They will face many trials, resistance, temptations, and even persecution. And so here in this 10th chapter of Matthew, Jesus gives the disciples some specific instructions as well as some encouragements and some words of motivation. One of these motivations is found here in verse 28 that we just read. It might come to a surprise to you, but Jesus actually uses the fear of God and the fear of hell as a means to inspire and motivate 
his disciples as they are sent out on the mission. You see, the disciples are not to fear men. They are not to fear the men who can kill them, but they are to fear God, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, of course, you and I know if you've listened to a lot of sermons, if you read your Bibles, we know that our motivation as Christians for mission and evangelism is simply to obey God, to love God, to love people, and to glorify God. But the question is, have we ever considered the fear of God and the fear of hell as a motivation for Christian mission? Of course, hell is a very uncomfortable topic to talk about and to think about. We don't like talking about hell. Hell is the most unpopular topic among Christians. And it is largely avoided and absent in our churches. In a lot of our sermons. A lot of our Bible studies. But do you know what the greatest Christian sermon ever preached in history is? Do you know what that sermon is? The greatest sermon ever preached in human history is known to be the Sermon on the Mount by Jesus Christ himself. And in this sermon, Jesus Christ refers to hell at least five times. And let me ask you this, do you know what the greatest Christian sermon ever preached in this land, North America, is? Virtually all church historians agree that the greatest sermon ever preached in American history is called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God by Jonathan Edwards in 1741. This was the most influential sermon ever preached and this sermon was about hell. And this sermon sparked what we call the Great Awakening. The greatest Christian revival we have ever seen in North America and Britain where we saw countless conversions to Christ and countless missionaries sent around the world, including Korea. You see, the doctrine of hell might be quite unpleasant, uncomfortable, unpopular, but let me tell you this today, it is important, it is powerful. It is a powerful Christian doctrine that we cannot overlook or neglect. It is also not a doctrine that we can sugarcoat or tuck away. Let us not be dishonest with visitors who come into our churches to ask about the faith. And so for the rest of our time together, I will provide three biblical facts about hell and then we will consider together 
the three applications. Fact number one, hell is real. It's real. One American study from 2014 suggests that out of all adults who attend religious services every single week, only 51% of them believe in the existence of hell. 51% only. It's half of people who might go to church. This is shocking to think that half the people who go to church believe in hell. Another survey shows that among evangelical Christians in the UK, only 37% of them still believe in hell. Now how about you? It seems that more and more young people in our churches today reject and even despise the doctrine of hell. Hell is now simply a curse word, a swear word. Hell is a joke. We think hell is a fictional, imaginary place. But do you know who spoke about and taught about hell the most in the Bible? It was our Lord Jesus Christ himself. In our text today, Matthew 10, 28, Jesus does not speak of hell as if it is a fictional, imaginary place. In the New Testament alone, there are 162 references about hell. And over 70 of those references were made by Jesus Christ himself. In fact, in the Gospels, we find that Jesus talked about hell or judgment more about more than heaven. Now, if you have a hard time believing in hell, remember this. Remember that the Lord Jesus Christ most certainly believed that hell is real. And so if you reject the doctrine of hell, you are essentially calling Jesus Christ a liar or a false teacher. Hell is real. I didn't say it. Your pastor didn't say it. Jesus said it. God's word says it. Fact number two. Hell is punishment. Jesus says in Matthew 13, 49 to 50, this is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The fate of the wicked, the fate of sinners is hell. Hell is the punishment that sinners incur for their sins. The description of hell here we find that Jesus gives is horrific. It will be like a burning hot furnace. The human language cannot fully describe the horrors of hell. And the literal interpretation of fire and hell is not even sufficient. 
the imaginary of fire, the weeping, the gnashing of teeth, all of these are images that just symbolize the unbearable pain, the anguish, the misery that sinners will experience in hell. Now, if you live your life disregarding God and His law and His word, if you live your life in willful disobedience to God, hell will be waiting for you at the end of your life. And if you do not understand why a sinner must be punished in hell, then you do not know God. You do not understand what it means that God is holy. And you are quite naive about how sinful humanity is. That's what the Bible tells us. Today, the world points the finger at God and asks, how can a good God punish sinners and allow people to go to hell? Why would a good God do that? But the real question we should be asking is, how can a good God let sinners and rebels into heaven? Why should he? When we sin in thought, desire, and deed, we break God's law. We are going against His will. And we sin, let's face it, we sin because we love our sins more than we love God. When we break God's law, we declare war against God. We sin because we place ourselves and our own evil desires above God. And so why should God-haters and enemies of God go to heaven to be with God? Did you ever ask that? If we don't want to worship God now, if we don't want to love God now in this life, if we don't want God now in this life, what makes you think that we should get God and the life after in heaven? Why? God is holy. This means that He is utterly transcendent and set apart. He is perfectly righteous and pure. He is a God of justice and therefore He must deal with sin justly. And so really, hell is evidence of God's goodness and holy justice upon all that is evil in this world. Think about it. There are so many criminals today, so many murderers, rapists, who do their crime and will never get caught. There are people, positions, and power who are corrupted, they will never get caught. Rather, they live a happy life now. But truth be told, one day they will face the justice and wrath of God. All secret and hidden sins will be brought to the light. Hell is the great equalizer of all justice. 
Isn't this what our world wants today? You see the news, everyone wants justice. Our justice system cannot serve true justice. God is the equalizer. Hell is God's good and loving and holy justice burning hot. Only if men and women understood this terrible fate, only if the world would stop mocking the teachings of Jesus Christ, then maybe we would see no wars. Do you think men like Vladimir Putin, if they feared God, if they feared what was ahead of them, do you think they could so easily go to war and kill hundreds of civilians and little children? But this is the problem, isn't it? People don't care. People don't care about God. People don't care about His Word. People hate God. People live their lives, lives as if God doesn't exist. It doesn't matter if you go to church. So many people who go to church religiously live their lives as if God does not exist. You know why? Because people are sinners. And sinners will one day get what they deserve. That's what the scriptures tell us. They will face the holy wrath and justice of God. Fact number three about hell. Hell is eternal. Jesus says in Matthew 25, 46, then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Jesus cannot be any more clear. He says the punishment is eternal. Hell is eternal. What does eternal mean? Eternal means forever, never ending. If you live your life in willful disobedience, rebellion against God, hell will be your final destination and I say final because it will never end there is no escape or second chances in hell once you are in hell it is too late you will never get out now some of you are thinking who is this guy up here talking about this talking about this such unpleasant topic now let me remind you I'm just the messenger trying to be faithful to the message I'm just trying to be faithful to the words and teachings of Jesus Christ. If you have a problem with this teaching, you have a problem with Jesus Christ. In hell, a day will pass, a month will pass, one year will pass, 100 years will pass, 1,000 years will pass, 10,000 years will pass, but still not a day closer to the end of your torment. This is hell. It is eternal. It is horrific beyond description. It's hard to accept, but Jesus said it. Jesus Christ clearly teaches that hell is eternal. 
Weep over it. But do not deny it. Because if you deny it, you deny Christ. Some Christians and some pastors hate this idea of hell. I understand why. They hate it so much, they never want to talk about it. They tell people to come to church. But shh, this is a secret. We don't want to talk about this. But it's in the book. It's in the Bible. They try to explain that, you know, Jesus didn't actually mean that hell is eternal. Look again. Matthew 25, 46, Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. You see that word eternal? Before the word punishment? The Greek word there is aionion. Now, this is the same word that is used again in the second half of the verse, before life. Eternal life. If Jesus didn't mean, really mean, to say eternal punishment here, then maybe you should also forfeit the idea of eternal life. If we deny the eternal misery of hell, then we must deny the eternal happiness of heaven. We should take him at his word. Hell is eternal. You may object, but preacher, that's so cruel, that's so unfair, the punishment should fit the crime. I agree, and God agrees. Punishment should fit the crime. He is a fair and just judge. Punishment is always determined by the severity of the crime, is it not? The severity of the crime is determined by the dignity and the worth of the person who has been violated. Do you agree? Allow me to give you an example. A man who tortures and kills a little girl will be much more severely punished than a man who tortures and kills a cat. This is because the little girl who has been violated has much more dignity and worth than a cat. But when we sin, we violate God. We offend God. Who is God? Though our sins are finite, we sin against the infinite God. The God of infinite dignity, of infinite worth. Sin is cosmic treason against the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, your Maker. You see, the chasm between God and us is infinitely greater than the chasm between a little girl and a cat. And you know what? If God came to us right now, if we could just get our hands on God, you know what we would do? We would kill Him. We would kill Him. This is what happened 2,000 years ago. The Son of God, tortured, nailed to the cross. The world hates God, and they will get what they deserve. And so I feel it is my duty as the preacher today to ask all of you this all-important question. 
If you died tonight, where would you spend eternity? Now, I want to conclude this sermon by considering just three out of many applications for faithfully believing this doctrine, doctrine of hell. Application number one. If you believe in the doctrine of hell, you will have a greater appreciation for the gospel of Jesus Christ. A lot of Christians don't want to talk about hell because they think that hell just diminishes the goodness of God. It's not true, my friends. It is definitely the opposite. Eliminating hell diminishes the goodness of God. If we eliminate hell, then God is no longer holy. He would be an unfair, unjust judge. A God who just sweeps the sins all all under the rug. Who turns a blind eye. You see, hell is not evil. Hell is where evil is punished. Hell is morally good. And a good God must punish sin. The goodness of God demands righteous anger toward injustice. If something unjust happens to you, your loved one, you should get angry. If you don't, something's wrong with you or you don't love that person really. In hell, God directs all his righteous anger and holy judgment upon sinners who deserve it. But the good news, but the good news The gospel is that for sinners who put their faith in Jesus Christ, God's judgment will be redirected onto Jesus Christ as the substitute. God does not forgive and pardon sinners without a price. God will justly deal with you all of your sins all of your past sins, all of your present and future sins, all your hidden secret sins, all of your sins, you will either be justly punished in hell forever or Christ will be punished in your place on the cross. You choose. Which one would you want? Jesus Christ paid a horrific price on the cross so that those that he loves wouldn't have to. You see, eliminating hell would diminish not just the goodness of God, but also the love of God in Jesus Christ. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he didn't just die to save you from your sins. No, so much more than that. Jesus Christ died to save you from hell. The terrifying wrath of God that you deserve. Christ took it all upon himself and he was crushed for those whom he loves. Only if you can believe in the doctrine of hell 
only if you can see how horrific and terrible hell really is, then, and only then, you will have a better understanding of the extent of your evil and the extent of God's love for you in Jesus Christ. The doctrine of hell enriches our understanding of God's love and deepens our appreciation for what Christ has endured for us on that cross so that we can spend eternity with Him in heaven. Application number two. If you believe in the doctrine of hell, you will have greater urgency for world evangelization. Truth be told, if Christians downplay and forget about the reality of hell, if hell is not a reality to you, then evangelism and missions is a joke. It's really just a joke. Why, why do missions? Why evangelize? There is no conviction. There is no passion. There is no urgency. But hell is real. If you believe it to be true, you will explode with passion and urgency for world evangelization. You will commit your life to reach all people of all nations, of all languages with the gospel of Jesus Christ or die trying. One preacher by the name of Charles Spurgeon put it this way, quote, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. End quote. I want to tell you a story, a true story. A true story that happened in South Korea on February of 2003. There was a huge mass murder where a subway station caught on fire with people inside it. 198 people died and another 147 were injured. A crazy man set a subway train on fire and then the fire spread to another train behind it. In order to keep the toxic smoke and fire to spread, the train doors started to close automatically, but there were people still trapped inside. The automatic fire detector shut down the power in the entire station, so the doors remained locked. Many people suffocated that day. They were burning alive as they screamed until they died. Now, the survivor was 
a subway operator, the driver of the train. And he survived because he was able to open his door since he had the master key. But he opened his door and he ran away by himself. But what he should have done was to save those passengers by opening their doors as well with the master key. Now, all of you here, all of you here who knows yourself to be a Christian, you are much like this subway operator. And the master key in your hands is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I lay before you two options. One, you can be like this coward who ran away and remained disengaged. Or, you can do everything in the power of the Holy Spirit to save people on their way to hell by opening their doors one by one even if it means risking your very life. You hold this master key. You know the name that has the power to save. Then are you not obligated to save as many people as you can? And so dear brothers and sisters in Christ, we have been delivered from the gates of hell by the grace of God then do we not owe our lives to Christ and surely we owe the world to Christ and consequently we owe Christ to the world application number three the final application if you believe in the doctrine of hell then join the rally to win the campus for Christ. Did you really think that this was a rally to gather people to play games? The term rally is a military term to bring people together for an urgent cause. This is a recruitment. This is not a game. Countless souls and their eternal destinations is at stake. If you wanted to join a friendly Christian club that holds hands around the fire and sings Kumbaya, Kingdom Come is not for you. If you wanted to find a safe space for Christians to come together and socialize on campus, Kingdom Come is not for you. There's other fellowships on campus or other events at church for that. But if you want to learn more about our awesome Savior and go deep in His Word, if you want to be used by God for His kingdom purposes, if you want to leave a legacy for Christ on your campus to win souls on the campus, then please join us and help us. Or to be more precise, let me put it this way. Let us help you. Let us help you to answer God's call to be a radical disciple of Jesus Christ. 
Kingdom Come exists to help students discover Jesus and to mobilize the next generation for the kingdom of God. And we want to inspire you. We want you to embrace the higher calling for your life. We want you to embrace a bigger vision, a vision bigger than being a good student, getting good grades, or getting a good career. Listen to me. If your vision isn't big enough to scare you, then both your vision and your God is too small. Come, help change the world by helping to fulfill the Great Commission in this generation. We can do it because God is with us. Imagine. Imagine the impact we can have if we can reach all students on campus with Jesus who will go on to be the leaders of their industries, of their nations. Imagine the impact. I believe this to be true. If we can win the campus today for Christ, then we can win the world tomorrow. And so I plead with you, do not perish with the world. In the kingdom of God, everything that we built here on this life will surely perish. But only what's done for Christ will last. And so come and help us. Help change the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, all to the glory of God alone. Soli Deo Gloria. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Sometimes your word is so difficult to swallow. But Lord, I've preached not with my words, but with your words. Lord, I have preached with authority, but not my authority, but with your authority. Help us to submit and surrender to your authority, to your truth. Lord, we pray for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear. May the gospel of Jesus Christ pierce our hearts and may we be completely sold out for your cause and for your mission. We pray that your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We thank you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.